to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. We started a series of messages a few weeks ago at the very beginning of this uh, this this month of December uh, called A Savior Who is Christ the Lord. And uh, I don't think all of us are familiar with those words, especially this time of year. Uh, we know that they come to us from that Christmas story from the hillside where the shepherds are gathered and the angels part the sky and, and fill it with a heavenly host and proclaim to the shepherds, hey, we've got great news of great joy that will be to all people, not just you, but all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now what we have done over the last few weeks, we've kind of explored why is that good news? Why is it great news that a Savior has come? Well, you really will never understand that it's great news until you understand why you need a Savior. You see, and if I don't recognize I need a Savior, then it's not really good news. I don't know that I need to be saved from anything, but we need a Savior. And so we have been looking at a passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, answers that question for us. He tells us why we need a Savior. And the first time we were together, we talked about that. Not a popular message, but one we need to know, all of us, Why do we need a Savior? Paul said, because you are dead in your trespasses and sin. There's not anything you can do to fix the problem. You're in your dead. Not only are you dead, you're dominated by a world, by Satan and by self. You're not in control of your life. Sometimes it feels like we are, but immediately we are reminded that we're not. That we are a victim of this life and this world and there's nothing we can do about it. Paul says you are dominated by a world and a satanic world order that you have no control over. And then finally he says, and you know what? You're doomed. You are enemies of God. As a result of your sin, you are alienated from God and there is no hope that you will ever be united with God because he's holy and you're not. And only those that are holy and righteous can stand in his presence and Paul says, this is who you were before you met your Savior. This is who you are if you've not met a Savior. But I've got the good news for you, or I've got news for you. You need a Savior because you're dead, you're dominated, and you're doomed. Well, he also answers another question because the one that comes to my mind is if that's true, and I, I know it is, that I am dead in my trespasses and sin and I'm I'm dominated by a world order that is against everything God stands for, and I am under the wrath of God and the penalty of death because I am a sinner. Here's the next question. Why would he even save me? Why? Why, If if I'm dead, why would God choose to come and offer me life? If I'm his enemy, why would he choose to forgive and restore? Well, Paul answered that question for us. And last time we were together, we looked and discovered that it is because of his great love. God's love for us is so unique and different that the writers of the New Testament had to, or the New Testament era had to come up with a, a brand new word for love just to describe it. 
because no word they had to describe love described God's love. And so they invented a word agape to describe the love that God has for us. His, his great love, Paul said, motivated. But not just that. It wasn't just the greatness of his love. It was the richness of his mercy. God chose as he loves us and looks at us to say, I don't want you to get what you deserve. Mercy is when we withhold what another person deserves. We deserve to die. We deserve separation. We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. We deserve hell. It's amazing a lot of people struggle in believing hell. I don't know that how could a loving God send people to hell and how are they? Listen, hell's not a problem for me. Heaven's a problem for me. We are dead, dominated, and doomed. Heaven's harder for me to understand than hell. Why would God do this? Because he's rich in mercy. And he says, you know what? I don't want you to, Carol, I love you. And I don't want you to get what you deserve. And not only that, he is, and we put our own superlative in there last time we were together. He is amazing in his grace. We are saved by grace, Paul says. Not only does he withhold from us what we deserve, grace says he gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us love. He gives us forgiveness. He gives us restoration. Now, there's another question that Paul answers as he digs deeper in this passage of Scripture that is helpful for us because he also shows us how he saves us. He tells us why we need a Savior, and and then he tells us why he became our Savior, and, and then he tells us what he's done to offer us salvation. Now, I think this is critically important that we understand that. It's a part of the gospel story, but... But it's more than just the reality that we get heaven one day. It, it is in salvation. God gives us something that enables us to live life in victory today. In January, I'm going to start a new series, sermon series called Victory, Our New Normal. We hear a lot about our new normal. According to the Bible, do you know what your normal is as a Christian? Victory. And you know what? I've discovered most of us would not describe our life as victorious, but the Bible says that's normal for a Christian. We think that these victories that we have in our Christian life are are kind of unusual things, and we celebrate, and it's fun, but it's not the normal part of our life. And you know, the Bible says that victory is normal in our life. And so we're going somewhere with these messages. We're moving and are coming to a place where we can understand how that God in coming as a savior has provided for us something that will help us every day not just when we die and go to heaven and so today i want to return to that same passage of scripture in ephesians chapter 2 as we look together and discover that paul now looks into this text and says how our savior saved us he addresses really our biggest need If our basic need is that we are dead and we are dominated and we are doomed, then salvation has to address those three things. And that's what Paul says it does. So if you have your Bible, look with me, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. We find these familiar words. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Uh, Among them, we 
two all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as the results of works, so that no one may boast. Now, in the text, Paul tells us how God saves us. He says, you are dead, you are dominated, you are doomed, and Jesus comes to address those three issues. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sin, Paul said, we are made alive in Christ. Because we're dominated by Satan and the sin and our self, he has raised us with Christ. And because we are under the wrath of God, doomed by our sin, he says he has seated us with Christ. Those three things correspond to those three needs that each one of us have. And so for the time that we got together today, let's just look at them. He first of all says that we are made alive in Christ. Now what's amazing in the text before us, he uses past tense. He said he made us alive, he raised us up, he seated us. All three of these events are mentioned as in the past tense. And I believe the reason that he does that is it's his way of saying that, that as our Savior, he's done everything that needs to be done to fix the problem that we face. This is a done deal. In Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, we have been made alive. Now, he's talking about being made alive spiritually, as we've already recognized. But in his great love and in his rich mercy and in his amazing grace, he's looked beyond my sin and sin's penalty, and he has given me life. Recognizing my need, he came as a savior to meet it. The whole purpose of Christmas when we celebrate it as a part of the gospel is that he came to make a way where there was no way. We've already discovered and established the fact that we are sinners. The Bible says we are sinners by nature and by choice. Adam and Eve placed in the Garden of Eden. God had a perfect relationship with them, talked with them, walked with them. But yet he gave them freedom, just as he has given you. He gave them the choice to choose to love him and respond to his love, not forcing them to do that. And you and I know that in that moment of temptation, they chose to disobey God. And in their choice of disobedience, they sinned. 
And sin separates us from God. In fact, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The reason we're dying is because we are sinners born into a sinful, broken world. Before sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve would have lived forever. You and I, listen, we were created with eternity in our hearts. I think the reason we struggle so much with death is because there is something in us that says death is not supposed to be a part of our life. This isn't supposed to be a part of our world. Even, have you noticed, I remember when my mom died, for example, she had been sick for a prolonged period of time. I prayed that she would die. She had suffered, and there was a time that I was praying that God would take her. And I happened to be in the room when mom died. And and you know what's amazing? I thought I was ready for that. I wanted her to go. I knew where she was going. And even though I was ready for it, I wasn't ready for it. And when I was sitting there with her, it was overwhelming. Why? Because there is something in us, in our DNA, created by God that knows death isn't supposed to be here. And so, death entered into the world as a result of sin, and Adam and Eve were separated from God. And the remainder of the Bible, from the very first pages, the rest of the Bible is the story of redemption. It's a story of God fixing sin. And because the wages of sin is death, God institutes a sacrificial system. The first death recorded in the Bible is at the hand of God. He kills an animal to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. And and, and what he was saying is, I'm going to kill this animal. This innocent animal is going to die to pay the penalty for your sin so that you can be covered and we can have a relationship. But the sacrificial system was introduced, pointing one day to the day that Jesus would become the Lamb of God who would die in our place. We celebrate at Christmas time the birth of Jesus. He born unlike anybody else. Why? Because he didn't inherit a sin nature. Because he has a heavenly father and an earthly mother. He is altogether man and yet at the same time altogether God. So he was born, doesn't have a sin nature, never sinned, would have never died. But we know he did. Why? To pay the penalty for our sin so that we can have his life. He takes our sin upon himself. He takes our penalty upon himself so that we in turn can have life. And Paul is saying, when we were dead in our sins, Jesus came and gives us life. But now I want you to understand this. This is, this is key for where we're going. Not only does he give us life in the sense of eternal life, that we're going to die and we go to heaven and we're going to be there. That's why I could celebrate. That's why I could pray that my mom would die because I knew she would be alive in that moment in present with God. But this is the part that we sometimes miss. He came to give us life, but not just life eternal. He came to give us victorious life in the here and now. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In fact, let me, let me put it in, in this perspective, maybe. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? There's this story in Luke chapter 15 where, where Jesus talks about a, a son who comes to his father and says one day, I want my inheritance now before you die. I want everything. And so he, his father gives him his inheritance. He leaves, goes to a foreign country, blows it, spends it. And after he has blown everything, no more friends, no more money, he has attached himself to a person there feeding hogs. Only thing he had to eat was the pods that the hogs were eating. And, and while he was there, he came to his senses and said, you know what, what am I doing? 
My father's servants are better off than I am. I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father, I'm not worthy to be his son anymore. Make me as one of your hired servants. I'll be better off as a servant in my father's house than where I am. And he goes home. Well, while he's yet a great way off, you remember the story, really is a picture of God and, 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 and us, uh, the father and that wayward son. And as the son comes, the, the Bible says, while he was yet a great way off, the father saw him. He was looking for his son, longing for the day that he would return. And when the son comes, the father runs out to him and embraces him and says to his servants, bring a, br bring a robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. Bring shoes and put it on, on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. And then he makes this interesting statement. You may have missed it, but he says this. For my son was dead and now he's alive. Now, he really wasn't dead. He was standing right here. What did he mean by that when he said, my son was dead and now he's alive? He, he, you know what he's referring to? There's been a change in my son. He's not the same now as he was before. He was dead to me now, but he's alive because he's changed. There's an inner change. I, I think what we recognize when, when Paul says he has made us alive, there is a transformation that takes place on the inside of us when we receive the life of Christ. All of a sudden, this son who was selfish is now selfless. This son who was prideful is now humble. This, this son who was ungrateful is now grateful. The new life that God gives us transforms us from within. It changes our heart. That's why Paul would say later, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When he gives us new life, he gives us the ability to live our life here differently. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life more abundantly, more fully, to embrace the things that really matter. He gives us the ability to love the unlovable. He gives us his grace. He gives us his peace. He gives us the ability to forgive. He gives us the ability to live life at a different level. And rather than being constantly under the circumstances, he gives us the ability to rise above them. Well, secondly, in the text before us, it says, not only does he give us new life, but because we are dominated by the world and by Satan and by self, he raises us up. He, he literally raises us out of this world and gives us a new home. Now, a lot of times when we look at that as believers, we think about the fact that, yes, we have a new home. We're going to be in heaven. But I want you to understand he's not talking about what happens when we die. We have been raised and placed into a new kingdom. In fact, Paul is going to say that while we are on earth as a believer, we're really aliens. We're not from here. We don't look like the people who live here. We don't talk like the people who live here. We don't, we don't interpret the world the way they do. We're, we're not from here. We're aliens and foreigners, strangers, Peter would say, and the writer of Hebrews. 
God has given us a new environment. If Satan is the God of this world, how do I overcome his power? Well, I'll just take you out of that world. I'll just tell you that you are no longer subject to that world because you don't live there. You are a citizen of heaven. I'll give you a new outlook. I'll allow you to see the world from an eternal perspective, not a temporary perspective. I'm going to let you see things differently. I'm going to make you a conqueror. In fact, isn't it interesting? The verse says we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are, we're not just conquerors, we're super conquerors. We're not just victors, we're super victors. That literally paints a picture for me of an army defeating another army. It's one thing for an army to defeat another army, but what does it look like to be more than conquerors over another army? What that means to me is that not only do we defeat the other army, we take all of their weapons, and we take all of their ammunition, and we take all of their strongholds, and we take anything of value they have, and it becomes ours. We, we take the spoils of war. To be more than conquerors in the world means that we get the spoils. You know what that looks like? Every battle I fight with Satan, I come out a better person. Sometimes I don't win the way the world thinks I should, but every battle I've ever had with the enemy, I come out of it stronger, with greater faith, with greater understanding of God, with greater intensity, and the provisions that he has provided, all of those things, he gives us a new outlook. He gives us new standards to live by. Not the standard that the world embraces, but a, but a new standing, a new culture, a new focus, a new perspective. No longer am I under the control and domination of this world. Because of the new life I have, the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I don't have to be a slave to the addictions that I'm a slave to now in the power of God. I can live an overcoming life. Paul said, we have a savior. And guys, you are dominated by sin and there's nothing you can do about it, but don't live your life now that you have embraced the savior like you're still under the domination of sin. You're not. Don't continue to live as if you have no control. You have given your life to one who is in control and trust him to overcome. Paul would say in another place, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not dominated by self and sin in a world anymore. I don't have to make excuses for my sin and say, well, I guess this is just the cross that God wants me to bear. No, I'm an overcomer. And as a result of the life he's given me and the fact that he has made me a citizen of heaven, I am no longer, I'm no longer under the authority of the God of this world. I've risen above that, Paul says. We are dominated by sin and self. And so Christ has raised us so that we're no longer under that domination. But the third thing that he says is this, 
You were dead. You were dominated. You are doomed. Because you are objects of the wrath of God, God has seated you with Christ. In fact, there's this fun comment that he makes about that. When he says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace have you saved, are you saved through, have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ so that, look at this, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He said, not only did he give you a, a new home, a new place to be from so that I'm no longer dominated by this one, but he has made us family. We've been adopted into the family of faith. The concept of adoption at the time that the New Testament was written in the Roman world, if a person did not have an heir, they would often find someone and make them their heir by adopting them. And it wasn't something that they did with a child, it was something they did with an adult. So I'd find an adult, someone I know, I know everything about him, I like him, I love him, and I choose for this person to be my heir, I adopt him. It carries with it the idea that God knows us and everything about us and has chosen us and makes us family. He raises us to a position of authority. The real focus really though is on the intimate relationship that, they, that we now have with God as our Father. Jesus introduced a concept foreign to the people of that day as he continually referred to God as my Father. He talked about God as if he knew him personally and walked with him and had a relationship with him. And he invites us into that kind of intimate relationship with him as adopted children. He says we can know him. He has seated us with him. The idea is that we are seated with him to carry on intimate conversation, to know him personally, and that he can know us personally. We were once doomed, the object of wrath because of our sin, separated from God, but now I have become his child, I'm an heir. Everything he has is mine. All that is mine is yours. The challenge, I think, for us is to live that way, to know him. Wrath separates us from him, but through Christ, we have an intimate, personal relationship. We have access to all that he is and all that he has as we walk with him. It carries with it the idea of love and affection. Here's the essence of the gospel. He died to give us life. He's raised from the dead to give us power so that we are no longer citizens of this world, but of his kingdom. 
And his ascension into heaven means that we have access to him. So, as we'll discover, victory becomes our new normal. And we get to walk in victory because we have life. So my question to you is, why are you living like you're dead? Why is it that you walk without power? Why is it that you are defeated before the day ever begins? Why is it that you're still under the bondage of the enemy and feel like you're a slave to sin and, and this is something you'll never be able to overcome when, when God has come to give you life abundant? He has transformed you from within and taken you from here to say you're no longer a citizen of earth so you're no longer under the power of Satan and sin. You're not dominated by that anymore. Neither are you doomed because you are my child and everything I have is yours and all that I own is available to you and you can walk in that abundance. <clears throat> it may be that you're here today and have never embraced the gift of eternal life. Paul's description is a vivid description of you. He says, if you have never embraced the Savior, Christ the Lord, you're dead in your sins. You can't save yourself. You can't fix it. You're dominated by a world beyond your control, and no matter how hard you try to live a good life, you've already blown it. And only those that are perfect go to heaven, and you are not perfect, and you can't undo what you've done. You're doomed. But God loved you. And he came and did what you cannot do. And in his death, he offers you life. And today you can turn from sin to say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. You can have the life that God makes available. You can let go of the sin that dominates your life and in his power you can overcome. And in him, you can find a father who provides all you need, not just in heaven and hereafter, but in the nasty here and now. And if you're a child of God, embrace the good news the angels proclaim that day because you have a Savior, Christ the Lord, that gives you victory every day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you have given us today and the opportunity to respond to it because there are some that are present today that have never received you as Savior. Oh, they've thought about it. They've, They've considered it, but they've just never made the decision. And I pray that today would be the day, Holy Spirit, you invite them to make that decision. To admit that we are sinners and can't save ourselves. To acknowledge and believe, Jesus, yes, we believe. You came and lived and died and rose again. 
We accept you as our Savior, ask you to forgive us of our sin. We give you our life. We want you to be our Savior, our Lord. For others that are in the room today who have embraced you as a Savior but are not living like they, I pray that you would help them to live the abundant life you've called us to. I pray that you would allow them to be victorious every day over the sin that dominates our life and the world that dominates our ideals and our thoughts and our impressions and that you would become our father and in an intimate relationship with us we would have access to all we need and for that we say thank you in jesus name amen from everyone at southcliff church thank you for joining us today if you would like more information about southcliff church please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.